Welcome to Staying Healthy Naturally, a show that focuses on healthy ways to achieve optimal wellness. I'm your host, Dr. Gary Krakoff. I have a degree in naturopathic medicine and am a registered pharmacist at Johnson Compounding and Wellness, Main Street in Waltham, Mass. Today our guest is Lincoln Fishman from Sawyer Farms. And this is part three. We talked about um, Sawyer Farms and they're growing CBD and how they're doing it. And today we're going to talk more about their farming. His farm, the Sawyer Farm, is carbon neutral. And I hope that we'll get a good discussion going. What does that mean? And regenerative agriculture, what does that mean to both the environment and to the things that are produced on the farm? And today we're joined with Lincoln Fishman, again, from Sawyer Farm. Hi, Gary. And how are you? Good. How are you? I am excellent. Um, we talked the last couple times about a little bit about farming and a lot about CBD and hemp. And what your carrots still <laughs> stand out in my mind, how delicious and vibrant color they were. So I'd like to talk a little bit about your farming and what you're doing and what you're growing because I know my wife and I, and I'm sure I know a lot of people can hardly wait for the nice weather for many reasons, but one of them is the local farmer's markets come back. Mm -hmm. And that's when you can start getting the food. People love the taste and what you can buy that's maybe hours old or a day right. picked, which is when you have the most nutrients. But also they love supporting the local business person, the local farmer. And now that they're seeing the difference between store-bought or big farm industrial grown and the local grown, they realize what our grandparents and great-grandparents did you know, right. was right. The yeah. carrot doesn't have to be perfect. Mm -hmm. And if you get 12 carrots, you don't need 12 identical-looking carrots. Right. They're not supposed to be that way. What if there was a pebble in the soil? Right. The carrot's going to be curved a little bit. Right. And so... You know, it's, it just fascinates me that we're going back to what was done 100, 200 years ago where it's, it's not bartering because we use money if you're at a farmer's market, but it's almost like bartering. Yeah. That this is what you do and you're bringing it here and what can right. I trade? So you're trading for dollars, but it's, we, we've been talking about symbiosis. It really is a symbiotic relationship. Absolutely. You're, you are the small growers do better when the people are demanding it. The people are healthier and demanding more because of what the farmer's growing, and then the farmer right. has to grow more. Right. And it's just wonderful. Right. So when we had talked in the last podcast, you talked about you have solar panels. You use the manure from all the animals that you raise and use in the farm and all that. And you, you mentioned to me that you're probably just about carbon neutral which is amazing. That seems to be the big buzzword and all companies, you know, big companies are buying carbon credits. Right. They're paying money to balance their carbon footprint. You're spending money to balance <laughs> yours by doing it properly. It costs you a lot more, I would think, to grow the way you're growing than if you did it right. the way it has been done. Right. So can you talk a little bit about your farm, what you do, um, how are you carbon neutral? Yeah. Um, well, this is something I'm, I've been involved in um, just recently. There's actually a healthy soils bill um, in the Congress right now in Massachusetts. Um, 
and I'm encouraging uh, people when I talk to them to think of it not as an agricultural bill, but as a climate change bill. Okay. Um, to this point, there's nothing on the books that encourages farmers um, to do um, the sort of positive agricultural practices in terms of removing atmospheric nitrogen and putting into into the soil. And this bill would really change this. This is very forward thinking. Um, it makes me proud um, to be a citizen of the Commonwealth because I think this is really forward thinking. Um, and traditional agriculture um, through tillage, meaning moving soil around in preparing it for the crop, um, lets a lot of oxygen into the soil. And that actually um, causes a kind of spike in respiration of the soil organisms and they actually breathe out carbon dioxide. And they eat a lot of the carbon that's in the soil and it gets respired as carbon dioxide. Agriculture is probably responsible for around 25% of anthropogenic um, uh, carbon dioxide. Wow. Um, through right practices, we can be taking that carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere and using photosynthesis to actually put that carbon dioxide back into soils. Don't want to interrupt you, but I'm going yeah. to. So when I was flying out to give a talk, and I was flying over through the center part of the country, through uh -huh. all the farmland, and there were some crops being grown over here, and there was almost as far as I could see areas where there was a lot of barren right. acreage. Right. Yeah, that's all breathing carbon dioxide out. What little carbon is left in those soils is going out, is and leaving. then the commercial farms with the big equipment is just throwing out so much carbon dioxide by constantly using the soil and not putting it back and not having cover crops and right. not letting the soil right. rest a little bit. So we're really creating a lot of our own problem by Absolutely. not farming correctly. And what's exciting about this is as opposed to other industries where we might be able to pollute less, in farming we could actually Decrease the opposite, it. we could actually be rolling back climate change as we farm. It's very exciting. I mean, not only could we, yeah, not only can we stop polluting, we can, we can suck that carbon dioxide back out of the air. And the, the thing about having increased carbon in your soils is that climate change maybe is the most important benefit, but there are so many others. So I'll just say off the bat, you know, it increases water infiltration. Carbon in your soil acts like a sponge. It holds moisture. So it works both in flooding events and in drought events. So a, a carbon rich having to use so much water. And you yeah, you irrigate a fraction amount of the time, which you know in our in the northeast maybe is less of a big deal, um, but is still, you know, you gotta think Every about it. Every gallon counts. Counts. And in many areas of the country, obviously it's incredibly you know, it's critical. It's the limiting factor for plant growth. You increase Carbon by 1%, I believe it's uh, 25,000 gallons per acre of extra water holding capacity per, wow. for every 1%. Um, so there's, the, there's that end of it. Then there's just the increased soil life that the carbon can support. And the nutrient density of food that is grown in a carbon-rich soil is going to exceed um, the nutrient density of crops grown in a, you know, depleted soil every single time. So from a human health standpoint, we'll be healthier. These are critical practices for us to be uh, encouraging so, farmers to use. So, in a way, farming the old-fashioned way could really lower health care costs, not just save the Absolutely. environment, not just 
give some people some a job locally, not just have farmers markets be fun, but if we start eating better, our, our health will be better, we'll be more productive, and healthcare costs can go down yes, while we're cleaning the environment. Right, yeah. So why and, hasn't and this exciting? been done for the last 20, 30? <laughs> it sounds like a, a low cost and great benefit and a no-brainer. Right, well, so the, the sort of thought that's driven agriculture for the last 100 years is this idea that we somehow need to um, do anything we can to feed our growing population and we've been subsidizing fossil fuels and chemicals and at this point you know that industry is giant it's made you know they contribute to political campaigns I mean I, I'm not an expert on this I can't tell you exactly yep. why we've gone down this road but um, but but clearly the kind of farming that we have been encouraging in this country for the last hundred years is destructive and extractive you know it treats the soil like something we should use up like we're you know we're trying to get dollars out of it rather than treating it like a renewable resource and a living organism and a living organism yeah so you know i think what's exciting now is we're we're taking the best of the old and the best of the new because there's a lot of science and best practices we can now do it that even we better. didn't know about 100 years ago um, and and there are very clear benefits to all this um, and although there's a lot more research we could we can do, the amount that's been done already is pointing so clearly in the direction of increasing soil organic content through some basic practices. Um, that, as I said, I, you know, Massachusetts is considering this now, and I, I think it's finally becoming part of the public dialogue. And I, I really see us as a as a country, and hopefully globally, moving in this direction over the next, well, hopefully Excellent. very very soon. Very soon. <laughs> yeah. Um, you, you talked to me a little bit about regenerative agriculture. That is a nice sounding right. two words. What right. does it mean? Yeah, what good is question. It? Well, so, you know, I think it gets thrown around a lot. And, um, you know, it's um, in a lot of ways, the fact that we started farming with horses was, it had an unintended benefit for us, which is when we went to look for information about how to do it, we ended up reading books. We ended up uh, reading books that were that were published a hundred years ago or more, at a time that I think was the last golden age of agriculture in this country. This was before chemicals and fertilizers were widely available. We were still using horses for power, but there was a lot of um, soil science um, out there for the first time. Um, a lot of information about cover cropping, and those were our textbooks basically that we learned um, from when we were trying to figure out you know how do you farm and so I think we wandered into a, a kind of agriculture that's sometimes called biological agriculture um, regenerative agriculture is just another term for the modern movement and I guess we're calling it regenerative because it's the idea um, that we are uh, taking depleted soils and regenerating them, giving them life again, and trying to bring them back to um, what they were when they, you know, before destructive farming practices um, really depleted these soils. Okay, great. And it also, you know, just thinking, it must, unless, well, for doing what you do, it must be nice to, in the morning when you go out to work in the field, 
to go hitch up some horses. Talk to them. Yeah. You know, right. as you're doing it, you're not sitting in the cab of a diesel right. tractor right. with your earbuds in, uh -huh. just going up and down, down. and up and down, right. and then the tractor breaks down or you're running out low on fuel, you have to go back and get more. It must be right. nice talking to or working with an animal because just like people with their dogs, it's unconditional love going both ways. Mm -hmm. And that must have a positive effect on both you and the horse. It's um, fascinating. I think it's just endlessly interesting. Um, and that's really what keeps me, it keeps me farming in general and it keeps me um, just loving the work with the horses. So you're not out there um, alone. I'm in the field and there's a real relationship and there's a back and forth between me and the horses. There's just always something to think about. Um, you know, there's some little, maybe correction, they could be doing something a little bit better or you're thinking, you know, they're getting tired, um, we're going to need to take a break soon or you're thinking, okay, well, uh, maybe what I'm doing right now is actually really easy and they would like to get a little bit more exercise. Maybe we should stop this and do the thing I was going to do later now so that they can get a little bit of that energy out or vice versa. There's just a lot of little pieces and, and yeah, just the, the kind of communication, the back and forth that's happening is, is constant. I mean, there's never not a moment when you're not in relationship with this animal and you think, yeah, we've been evolving with them for thousands of years we're just meant to be together. They want to pull. Um, I want to be near them. I want to smell like the way that they smell, I think releases all kinds of hormones in my body that just make me feel good. And also it must be nice if you're on, if you had thousands of acres that you had to get plowed and you're in a piece of equipment, it's looking at the clock and it's 10 hours sitting on your rear right. end, just driving back and forth because you need to get this many done. But right. it, it's a lot more work with the horse in that in the morning you have to feed them, you have to wash them down. At the end, you probably have to cool them down. Right. I'm not a horse person, but right. and then bring them back to the barn the or the stable. Right. And when you walk in in the morning, it must be nice. They greet you. I don't think a tractor <laughs> ever sort of doesn't say, you hi, know, yeah. doesn't say <laughs> hi. But it also is probably very, besides when you're out in the field, it's probably very good for you too because it gives you a rhythm of the day. Yeah, and I, so it gives the day a rhythm, and I think really importantly, it, they force me, I'm a very fast-moving person, um, and I think they force me to operate at a more natural biological speed. And that ends up, it, feel, it can feel like a constraint from day to day. I'm looking at my list of everything that I thought I was going to get done, and here we are moving through the field at four miles an hour, and they're tired, and they need to rest. Yeah. And I wanted to get it done, but, you know, I actually now I have to stand around for 15 minutes and think of something else to do. While I, all that, though, actually is keeping, is forcing me, and I need it, I, the kind of personality that I have. It forces me to slow down to the pace that is appropriate if you're going to be dealing with other living with nature. And, you know, on a basic level, we move through the field at a speed that I can look at every plant as I'm passing. So I'm always able to do a little assessment of crop health. Oh, this looks thirsty. Oh, I forgot to thin those. Ooh, I see that there's a, a potato beetle on, on here. You know, all those little observations that can kind of add up. And then just in terms of soil and tillage, like we were talking about, you know, 
you're sitting behind a tractor with basically unlimited power, you might as well do it faster and do it twice. Or Get it done. The horses, you, you know, as strong as they are, it's hard work. You see how hard the work is. They're sweating. They're pulling. You hear them breathing harder. You're trying to do as much as you can with as little effort as you can. And what that ultimately forces me to do is move soil as little as possible. Because on the one hand, I know that that's what I should be doing. That's the right thing to do for crop health and for the environment. But it's 2 o'clock already. But it's 2 o'clock. You wish you could just kind of... And there's just no other gear to get into when you've got those horses, and they just, they won't do it. It's almost like, you know, they won't, they know. They, they can't do the wrong thing almost, you know, and so they yeah. force you to be good, kind of. Um, you know, it's is, a constraint. That is great. So now let's talk a little bit about what are you actually, what are you growing out there? Why did you choose what you're growing, food-wise? Food-wise, yeah. Well, we started, 15 years ago, I was teaching um, biology, high school biology in a public school in um, lower Manhattan and it was a wonderful school and they let me teach a, a pretty out there um, course for seniors um, called science and society and we talked about issues that you might read in the newspaper and how what the scientific basis was for them one of them we were talking about nutrition and the, the kids and I just went on a long many months long path talking about nutrition and then getting all into agriculture. Some of this was stuff I never even thought about and I was just like one day ahead of them. You know, I'd go home and Working read about what I was going to teach the next day. I kind of rewrote Omnivore's Dilemma for them at one point to make it a little more accessible. Um, you know, we really... So one day I taught a class about soil erosion, mostly. It was about other things. It was about how much soil we're losing in this country. And then I went outside to get something to eat. Lower East Side, some of the best most delicious food options in the world, but I had a realization, which was that all of the things I had just been teaching my kids was so wrong, soil erosion, chemical contamination, nutrient leaching, climate change, all this stuff, you know, worker exploitation, I actually didn't have any choices for lunch that weren't going to have all of that in it a little bit. Okay. And a I light bulb went felt on. so trapped. Like, I was complicit, like nothing I could do, you know, I had this knowledge about what was right and no way to act on it. And I'm actually happy to say, in that neighborhood at least, things have changed. I think I could eat an ethical lunch around there now. Um, but that thought and that feeling of being trapped, um, my wife and I, and she really helped me, you know, sort of turn a negative feeling into a positive one. It's like, well, what can we do? And we really started talking about homesteading at that point um, and, and kind of seeing if we could grow food in a way that didn't make the world a worse place and maybe even made the world a better place. And that was the beginning of the course that we've been on. Um, and so I would say um, what we grow started really at, as homesteading. So we still grow, our goal is to grow pretty much 100% of what we eat. And, you know, we're not totally there. And I still like coffee and I like olives. And there's but a number of things. some things you can't grow in this environment. Right. But we are, we're pretty close. And I would say the, the goal of the farm, the first goal of the farm continues to be to feed our family. And we've tried to, every decision we make about what we sell has tried to basically take that core group of crops and expand it out. 
And because we live in New England and we have a really long winter, storage crops has been the thing we've grown the most of, even when Makes we were sense. homesteading. And then um, as we've gone through with CSA and now the farm store and a wholesale um, business is, um, is the cover crops is, uh, sorry, the cover crops, the uh, storage crops, so I'm talking about carrots, onions, potatoes, cabbage, beets, garlic, these kinds of things. Um, that's really the heart of what we do. It works really nicely in a horse system for a variety of reasons. And it also works to sort of spread our labor. So in the summer, we can be in the field focused on farming and growing great stuff without a lot of distractions of feeling like that's our moment to make to our money for the year. In those six weeks. Right. Yeah. And then after harvest things slow down in the fields, we can turn towards, all right, let's get this food to people now. Um, and so that's, that's really been the, the center of what the farm's been doing. The, uh, you know, we've had a few different sales models as the years have passed, but I would say those storage vegetables have been the, the heart and soul of what Sawyer Farm's been doing since the beginning. That is great. And I guess the next thing is, if people want to find out more mm -hmm. about what you're doing and how you're doing it and all that, do you have a website? We do. Yeah. Um, the farm website is SawyerFarmShare.com, Share, S-H-A-R-E, and the CBD is SawyerFarmCBD.com. Great. We and so then they can put a face to the voice. Put a face to the, the voice. You can see uh, my adorable children. Um, but also, I guess I would say, you know, we're in Worthington. You can't, you, you know, our food is available locally. There are so many great little farms starting everywhere. And if somebody's listening to this and is inspired to eat good food that's grown well, um, and they don't happen to live um, within 20 miles of my farm, which is, uh, you know, 99.9999% of the population, there's so many great little farms like ours. Um, I really feel like we're part of a movement. And... Um, you can find almost anywhere you live now, um, you can find a little farm that's trying to do the right thing, um, whose food is going to be incredibly healthy, and you're going to be supporting the local eco ecosystem. And I just think we're, we're lucky. I, I think this is going to continue. There's going to be more of us in the future, but we're lucky right now to be living in a time, you're talking about farmers markets, yeah. where there's really beginning to be options. And I, I think it's good for people's health, and it's um, good for the environment. There's just so many benefits. So I encourage everybody who might be listening to this to eat good food. <laughs> okay. Well, again, Lincoln, thank you so much for stopping by. Thank you, Gary. And enjoy. If the weather stays the way it has been, I think your yep. season's going to start a little sooner. Your break we'll be, for the we'll winter the is going to be... soon. Yeah. Oh, I'm ready now. I'm rested. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. And it was a nice winter for you, too. Yeah. It wasn't crazy. Yeah. Thank you. And I hope we can keep, talk, keep this conversation going. Sounds good. Thanks, ha Gary. You bet. Have a great day. You too.